Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be back with you. Thank you uh, for receiving Mark Wakefield last weekend. I, I know that uh, you were blessed by him. I've heard from many of you that you were blessed by his ministry. He's a wonderful man of God and a, a great uh, state missionary force as Alabama Baptists and our state board of missions. So uh, thank you for that and uh, receiving him, praying for him, and continue to pray for the wonderful ministry of which he, uh, which he leads. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 in uh, just a few moments. In his book that is entitled Scatter, Andrew Scott tells a story about when he helped to coach his eight-year-old son in soccer. Now, I imagine we have many parents here and maybe some who also helped to uh, coach uh, soccer. Maybe it was when uh, your child was four or five years old or maybe in elementary school, maybe on into junior high and high school. Our Linda and I have had four grandsons that have played soccer. Two are now playing in college and uh, the third one played through this varsity year at uh, Prattville High School. And so we're, we're used to going to soccer games. But we remember when they were really young, just like Andrew Scott, we remember when those kids uh, would, were on the, the soccer field that no matter how much planning, how much describing and whiteboards and coaching during the week and explaining, when it came, came time for those young children and the ball uh, at, was at center field and it was kicked, all the boys and the girls that would play too, I mean, they all just like a magnet just ran to the ball. And, and, and some of you uh, remember seeing that and how cute it was. Uh, here they're all running to the ball and some of them may fall and they, they keep on trying to kick the ball, trying to get to one goal to the other. And the whole time the coaches are on the side, no, play your position, uh, get, in, get into your space and, and uh, uh, you know, kick the ball to each other and, and, and no, you're going the wrong goal, you're going the wrong direction. You know, all these things are going on with the coaches. And yet the kids, all they're trying to do, all again, just trying to get the ball. And that poor goalie, here he's got this mass of, of eight-year-olds just running straight at him. And, and, trying, and all of them trying to kick the ball into the goal. Sometimes they get the ball, sometimes it's unintentional. They get the ball in the goal, and so does the goalie, and so does half the team wind up sometimes in the net itself. I mean, it is cute. And the parents on the sideline, they're having a, a you know, they're, they're shouting, they're enjoying it, they're, they're kids, and for the novice soccer player, they probably don't even realize that this is not really how the game was uh, meant to be played. And like Andrew Scott said in his book, there's a lot of energy exerted, enthusiasm shown by the teams, but not much is accomplished in terms of the ultimate goal of the game. And again, the parents may enjoy it, the novice uh, a soccer fan or viewer, may, they, they may enjoy it as well, but that's not how the game is played. Can, I, I want you to see that that's a relationship to the church of Jesus Christ. Throughout the centuries, it seems like there are times like we mass together, we come together, and there's lots of energy, there's lots of enthusiasm, but there are many times when we don't always accomplish what we are supposed to be accomplishing as the church. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I started a series talking about the church gather. And it's important for the church to gather in small group Bible studies on Sunday morning. It's important for the church, as we talked about two weeks ago, to gather for worship. But today, I want to talk about the church is supposed to be scattering as well. The church scatters. 
And just like a good soccer team that everybody's playing the position, they're all across the field, they're getting in their space, and they're moving the ball toward the goal, everybody accomplishing their purpose, so we must be as well trained and planning and in our space, taking care of reaching the goal that God has for us. So this morning, let's look at the church scattered. The first thing I want to share with you about the church gathered is the biblical basis for the scattering. What's the biblical basis for what we do? Actually, it started in the Garden of Eden. In the very Garden of Eden, we find the marching orders. When God created Adam and Eve, he actually gave the marching orders for how we were supposed to live in this world. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. Remember, the image of God is reason. It's, it's rational. The image of God is volitional. The, the image of God makes the right moral choices. The, the image of God is the relationships that we can have with one another. The Bible says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And in verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. He said, I want you to, to come together in this beautiful union. And I want you to be fruitful and I want you to increase in number. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue it. This, this was God's plan for mankind. But if you're like me, when you read that, maybe when you've heard it preached, you're only thinking of the physical aspect. You're thinking of having babies, having children, procreation, giving birth, a, a husband and wife coming together in a loving union, and children are produced. And yes, that is part of the meaning of the passage, but there is a spiritual meaning behind it as well. God has created us so that we might bring glory to him and that we might publish his fame throughout the earth. That was his desire for his children. And he wants you and me to have that same desire in our heart, have that same purpose in our heart, that we are in a loving relationship with him and that we are to spread his glory and his knowledge. This God who continued relentlessly pursuing us in a relationship so much so that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. He desires for us to go out into this world and he wants you and me to be fruitful. He wants you and me to increase in number. And he wants us as well to fill this world of ours and to, and to master it. He wants you and me to produce spiritual babies. He wants us to share the message with other people so that other folks in all the nations of the world can come to Jesus Christ as well as we have come to Jesus Christ. And so he wants us to produce the spiritual babies and so that they too can bring glory to him, that they can publish his fame and so that the kingdom of God can be, can be filled, can be blessed, can be populated with those who are the spiritual offspring of our sharing the message of Jesus Christ. In Genesis, it was stated that way. Be fruitful, multiply, increase in numbers, subdue the earth. Now, Jesus would say it this way. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples. That means be fruitful. Of all the nations, fill the earth. 
Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, including my last command to go into all the nations and make disciples. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, in the first creation with Adam and Eve, that's what they were supposed to be. But we also, in our, in our relationship with God, that we too are to go and that we are to make these disciples, to multiply, to fill the earth. It is still the same today. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve. He says, I will bless you. If you will do these things, I will bless you. He is still in that blessing business today. He will bless us as long as we continue to fill the earth, be fruitful, find ourselves increasing the message of Christ in all of the nations continuing this mandate that he has given to us and to share so that every tribe, every tongue, every nation might know Jesus Christ. Now, what is the, what is the history of scattering? If that's our mandate, if that's our marching orders, if this is the biblical basis of scattering, what's been the history of sharing the message of Jesus Christ? Well, let's start back in the Old Testament. What happened with Adam and Eve? They sinned. They were cast out of the garden. But the mandate was still in place. They were still supposed to be fruitful and to increase in number and to fill the earth. And so they started doing that. But by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, what do we find? We find that people have totally disavowed themselves from God. They have turned their back on God. They turned their back on the goodness of God and the mercy of God. And they became became very, very evil. So what did God do? God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy this world. I'm going to bring about a flood. So he raises up Noah. And Noah builds an ark. The world is destroyed. And with Noah and his wife and the three sons and, and the three daughter-in-laws, the earth begins to be repopulated again. We get to chapter 9, verse 1. And what does God do? God, again, reminds him of the covenant. He reminds Noah of Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, increase in number. But then by the time we get to, to verse 4 and following in chapter 11, we find people stopping. People stopped. They stopped moving. And in fact, what did they wanted to do? They started promoting their self. They, they had their self-interest, their self-goals, and they refused to scatter. You can read it in Genesis 9, verse 4. They refused to scatter. And what did they do? They stopped, and they built this, they built this altar. In, in ancient days, it was called a ziggurat. We know it was called the Tower of Babel. And all they wanted to do was to build something that was moving toward heaven, but they wanted to be uh, controlling it all. They wanted to be their own gods. And what did God do? God destroyed that. God caused them to be confused with many languages. And we read in chapter uh, 11 of Genesis where they began to just spread. They began to spread out. He scattered them. By the time we get to chapter 11, he is scattering them out in verse 9. But at the end of the verse of chapter 11, who comes on the scene? Abraham. A man that was sensitive to God. And by chapter 12, God renews that covenant with him. I want you to go. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to increase in numbers and, and, and fill the, this world with people of faith. 
And so Abraham made his trip all the way to the promised land. And things are going great as Abraham's family increases and the Hebrews begin to grow. But then there comes a, a time when with these uh, early um, patriarchs that, that Joseph, you remember the story of Joseph, chapter 37 on in Genesis, and, and how that, that he is sold into slavery, makes his way to Egypt. But God's still loving Israel because of a famine, had them to, uh, through Joseph, brought to Egypt. And so Israel is saved. But then after 400 years, they finally are brought back to the promised land through Moses. And they're continuing to grow, and they're continuing to expand. And they build a great nation with all of the kings. But then there comes a time when they refused to, again, scatter and spread the message. They kept it to themselves. And because of their sin, God calls them to be taken into captivity. And then there was 400 years of silence. But then Jesus came on the scene in the fullness of time. Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And he fulfilled the ultimate message of salvation for all of mankind as he died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He was raised the third day. He lived here 40 days after the resurrection. Then he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, we have the day of Pentecost. The church was born. Then we have the book of Acts. And we see Paul and we see the spreading of the gospel. And then we see the gospel is spread not only throughout that known world into Europe, but eventually it would come to the United States where it would have some of the greatest fruit of all would be right here in our own nation. And God would honor the fact that we were willing to scatter out through all the continental United States, but then we would also raise up a mission force that would spread the gospel around the world. And one of the things I'm thankful for is being a Southern Baptist has been a part of that great missionary moment and movement. All because of Genesis 1:28. We believed in it. And we still believe in it. We still want to... Fill the earth, be fruitful, fill the earth, increase in number. Because we want every tribe, every tongue, every nation to know the message of Jesus Christ. And today we find, yes, we have our challenges. And as the prayer for Afghanistan, it's also a prayer for us as well. Of what could happen to our country. But I think one of the reasons God allowed America to be as great as it has is because it was started with the truth of religious liberty and a desire to scatter and to spread the message of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at this third point, and that is we need to gather for power and scatter to proclaim. We gather for power and we scatter to proclaim. Now yes, we do gather. We've talked about that. We gather because we need to worship. We need to grow in Christ and have our small groups. We need encouragement. We need hope. We need to spur each other on. And that's all so vital and important. It's like two wings of an airplane. We've got to have both wings of the airplane. So one is to gather, but the other is to scatter. So here, when we gather, we are getting together so that we might power up. You're used today uh, seeing kiosks, power kiosks everywhere. You see them so we can power up our electronic devices. We see them now in restaurants. We see them in airports. I've seen them in the hospitals. Uh, everywhere we go, same in schools, we've got to power up our electronic devices. Well, the church is about powering up. We power up so that we can scatter and to proclaim the gospel message. Uh, the, I'm going to use an illustration I think many of us uh, can identify with. 
and that is the football huddle. I mean, we're looking forward. High school football started this uh, past Friday night in, in most, of, uh, most of the state here. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our favorite football teams, and they'll start playing. And while there is those spread offenses nowadays, so they don't huddle quite as much as they used to, but most of us are familiar with the huddle over the football team. And it's important for that football team to huddle together and to huddle and to share and understand what the next play is going to be, to be sure everybody's on the same page. A word of encouragement, maybe from the, from the quarterback, whatever it takes. And, and then they go and they run the play. But for you and me as fans, on whatever level, whether it is uh, uh, something in the elementary age or whether it is school and junior high and high school, college or pro, if we pay money to go see the game, even though we may have children out there, have friends out there that are, that are playing, and even though we've paid our money, let's face it, we want to see them play the game. We didn't come paying money to see them huddle all the time. You don't pay whatever price it is to go to a football game just to watch them huddle the whole time. No, you want to see them huddle, break, and go to the line of scrimmage and run the play. Because, see, what is the goal? The goal is for your team to beat the other team. Is that not the goal? You may be there cheering your children on, or a family member, or a friend. You may be there for all that. But ultimately, we want to see them win in that game. We didn't come to see them just huddle. We came to see them play and do the best they can to win. Tony Evans, in speaking and using the same illustration, said, We huddle too much as a church. We gather in our huddles and we brag about the quarterback calling plays. In fact, we say our quarterback is better than the other team's quarterback. We praise the huddle. But what people don't understand is the huddle is for calling a play for the game. Therefore, the effectiveness of your church cannot be measured by how well you do on Sunday morning. The test is what we do out there in our homes, in school, in the marketplace. That's the measure of what we do. And it is important to worship and to praise God. One of the primary things we do as a church. But in the part of worshiping, in this fear of worshiping together, it propels us to go out and to serve. And in this case, that priority is to scatter, to share the message of Jesus Christ. But if we're not careful, we'll become really content of just huddling together Sunday morning, sometimes on Sunday night, Wednesday night, and never running the plays that God intends for us to run. So now let's look at Acts chapter 8. And let's look at what happened in Acts chapter 8. Now the book of Acts can be easily divided into three parts. Chapters 1 through 7 can be Jerusalem. Remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8? And you shall receive power after this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So chapters 1 through 7 are all about Jerusalem. All seven chapters. And then beginning in chapter 8 through chapter 12, it's all about Judea and Samaria. 
And then beginning in chapter 13, when Paul begins the missionary journeys, it's all about the uttermost parts of the world. So here in these first few chapters, we have they're in Jerusalem. We know the power, the Holy Spirit, came upon them in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 2, the power of the Holy Spirit comes down upon them at Pentecost. And then in chapter 3, we see some persecution of Peter and, and John, where they were told not to talk about Jesus, but, they, but there is a, there's the, the word to say, hey, there, there's no other name under heaven we're gonna be, by where we're be, whereby we will be saved. We find them also, by chapter 4, they're beaten. They, they, they receive the 39 lashes. Then we get to chapter 6, and we see the first deacons are ordained in the church, seven of them. Two of them that are very prominent, Stephen and Philip. And then by chapter 6 into chapter 7, Stephen, is because he is so bold in his witness and sharing the gospel, we find that the Sanhedrin pile all of, of their hatred on the Christian church. They pile on top of Stephen, where Stephen, though preaching the word, they couldn't stand it because he was preaching in the power of God. They stoned him at the end. So all this is taking place in Jerusalem. And then we begin in chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, who later would be Paul and would be converted, converted approved of the killing him, of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Now, there had been persecution already, Peter and John and, and some others as well. But because of what Stephen did, a great persecution has broken out against the church. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All but, all but those disciples. Godly men, in verse 2, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Saul began to destroy the church. And I want you to see that word, word destroyed there. That word destroyed, some of the Bibles may say ravaged. It's the only time this work is used in, in the Greek New Testament. Only time this word right here, destroyed, ravaged. It, to give you, maybe give you a picture, an image of this, it'd be like hogs getting loose into your garden and just utterly destroying your garden. That's the word here. That, that's the same word, that same picture. That's what Paul was doing. Saul, he was in the church. He, he was ravaging it. He was destroying it. He's rooting everything he can, the Bible says. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Then verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So let's look at four questions that we need to answer. The first one is who, back in verse 1. All except the apostles. All kinds of people, people just like you and me, the business people. Those of us that worked with our hands. Those that were carpenters. Those that uh, had some sort of craft. They were artisans and in their background. All kinds of people. All of these people that were Christians. These were the ones. These are the who. These are the ones who scattered. These who believed in the goodness of God and received his grace. They scattered. The what? What, what was it? What, what happened? Verse 4. They scattered preaching the word wherever they went. This is what they were doing. They were preaching. Now, there's two words for preaching in the, in the New Testament. One of those words for preaching 
is the formal word for communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Timothy was told by Paul to preach the gospel, he was to do it because he was the preacher. He was the one who had been taught. He had the authority, just like I'm preaching this morning. That's one kind of word. But the word that's used here when it talks about proclaiming, preach the word, proclaim the word, scatter to proclaim, it's the word evangeliso, which means just share the good news. It simply means for you to share your testimony, to share your witness, what Jesus Christ has done for you personally. It's your witness. This is the kind of preaching. They just went out and they preached this way. Where did they go? Verse 2, it says to Judea and Samaria because those were the closest place, places at that time. Judea would be like their state. Jerusalem would be like the city. Judea would be like their state. And Samaria uh, would be like the rest of, of their country at that time. And there would be, a lot of foreigners would be there as well. But that's initially where they went. And then verse 4, everywhere they went. And many of them started relocating in, in different parts of the Roman Empire. And the last question is, why? Why did they do it? Well, again, look at verse 3 and 4. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I want to tell you why I think they did what they did. They were so changed by the gospel. Their whole nature was changed. They couldn't help but share the message of what God had done for them. Listen to me. They, they were not agonizing over this. They were not uh, criticizing what had happened here. It, it happened. They took what was happening to them in persecution and they just scattered. And when they went, they shared the message of Christ. That's why, because the gospel had made all the difference in their life. In John chapter 4, verse 35, uh, there, the scripture says, Jesus quoting, uh, quoted this, Don't you have a saying, it's, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. When they scattered, they recognized other people needed the gospel message. And the fields were ripe at that very moment. Now, let me share with you a last point I want to make this morning, and that's hindrances to scattering. Now, there are many reasons why we don't scatter, but can I give you two just to kind of pinpoint where I think some of us may be? I have found myself in the same position. One of the reasons I think that we uh, are hindered in scattering is that we live with distractions. Let's face it, we have distractions. All around us, there are other things that grab our attention. It's like one man. He had two hours one Saturday. And he wanted to go out and, and create a new flower bed in the, in the corner of his backyard. And so he got all his tools ready and everything he needed to, to uh, turn the ground and just get it ready and plant some seeds. But he realized he forgot a spade. So he went back to his tool shed to get a spade. But on the way back, he saw a peach tree in his yard, and there was a low, a low limb that was just really low to the ground, and he decided that he needed to prop it up. And so he took some string and another piece of wood, and he propped the, the limb back up. 
But then he also noticed as he was coming back that he had another flower bed that had some wonderful annuals in it, and the weeds were about to overtake those flowers, so he stopped to weed that flower bed. And then when he finished that, as he was walking again back toward where he wanted to work on a new flower bed, he saw a hose that had a uh, had a hole in it and leak, and the water was just leaking everywhere, and he decided to repair it. And by the time he finally got back to what he originally planned on doing, the two hours were up. He was tired, and he was out of energy. Now, you may be thinking, well, he needed to do all those other things. Yes, he did. But his goal for that day, what he wanted to do, and what he felt he really wanted to accomplish, never got done. And we're going to walk out of here this morning... And we're going to say, you know, the pastor's right. And the scripture is right. And we need to, we need to set this as a priority. We need to scatter. We need to share the gospel. We need, we need to invite people. We need to be open in our witness and on and on. But before we realize it, in, instead of giving our attention to, to, to this issue and to share the message of Jesus Christ, we will find ourselves back to our old patterns back to the distractions, back to things that we think are important in our life. And instead of keeping the main thing, the main thing, we will not be accomplishing what we know we really need to do in our Christian life and make it a priority. Andy Stanley said this, Where we lose, when we lose our why, we lose our way. When we forget why God has placed us here. If we're not careful, we, we lose the focus and our energy is gone. And we've got to focus instead of being distracted. Now let's look at a second issue that we have to face. And that is living for self. Living for self. Listen to what Jesus uh, said to those who had, a, had an issue about living for self. Matthew chapter 6. And why do you worry about clothes? So do not worry about those things saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? These things dominate. These thoughts also dominate unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Jesus said, unbelievers. Unbelievers understand these things. Unbelievers find themselves living for self, taking care of their needs. But if we're not careful, we will make that the primary goal. Now, is making a living important? Of course, we need to make a living. Do we need to provide a home and food and clothing and all these other things? Are they important? Yes. But living just as that is your primary goal is wrong. It is wrong to live that as the primary goal of your life. God already knows you have needs. He'll help you meet the needs. He'll help you meet the needs. But living for self will take you away from sharing the gospel message. Let me close with a story that I think, it's an old story, but it's a, in history. But it's a story, nonetheless, that I think will grab our attention about being careful about scattering. It took place in 1271, long time ago. 1271 A.D. Nicola and Matteo Polo the father and the son, uh, father and brother of Marco Polo, had made their way all the way to what we know today as China. And they had an audience with, with Kublai Khan. Uh, uh, and 
this great ruler of India and China and the Far East, the, the Kublai Khan. And they had an audience with him. And in the presence of this, this great leader of that day, of 1271, they shared the message of Jesus Christ. And Kublai Khan was drawn. He was drawn to the gospel. He did not make a commitment of salvation, but he was drawn to Christianity. There was something attractive to him. And this is what he told uh, uh, Nicola and Matteo Polo. He said, when you get back, send us 100 of your skilled priests in this religion. And I will make sure all the leaders and all the barons, and he just named off a list. He said, I will make sure they hear this message. And I'll make sure they're baptized. You just send them. 30 years went by. Nothing was done. And finally, after 30 years, two or three missionaries went in that direction. But it was too late. Can you imagine what would have happened if a hundred missionaries had gone with the message of Christ? What may have happened to China? We'll never know for sure. But what may have happened if they had gone and had a leader that said, hey, I want people to listen to this message. Think with me about today. The people that need to hear the gospel that we're not scattering and sharing the word. We gather for power, we scatter to proclaim. That's the covenant Jesus made through Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's the message that God made with Adam and Eve in the beginning of creation. And that mandate and our marching orders have not changed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the message Thank you, Father, for making it so clear, just as you did to Adam and Eve, that you would bless them if they would be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And Father, that message that Jesus also proclaimed and go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things. And to be baptized as a testimony of our faith. Father, it hadn't changed. Help us to see that. Help us to grasp it. Help us to understand. We come here for power. We gather. We encourage. But we scatter to share the message of Christ. And those that we have influence, we begin one by one, bringing them into the life of the church. Father, it's what has made Elkdale Elkdale through the years. But forgive us, Father, when we at times have been more content with just huddling instead of running the play that you have for us. And while we are concerned about our Judea and our Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, may we never forget our Jerusalem right here in Selma, Alabama. And we pray this in Jesus' name. With your head still bowed. Maybe there's somebody here this morning. And you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. You've heard me encourage people. Challenge people. Of sharing the message to scatter. 
We scatter to tell people about Christ. We scatter to share that he came into this world. He died on the cross. And he gave his blood dying for our sin, our rebellion. And the only way that we will ever have eternal life in the presence of God is because of what Jesus did for us. But friend, it's not enough just to hear that and to have a head knowledge. We need to have a heart change. And that heart change begins by admitting that you are a sinner, that you have broken God's laws just like Adam and Eve, and that you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the only way of salvation. And then you confess him as Savior and Lord. That's done in a private way through prayer and then in a public way by becoming a part of his church. And I encourage you, if you've not made that decision, would you not this day? Simply saying a prayer very similar to this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe that you died for me on a cross. You were buried in a tomb and you were raised the third day. And I want to confess you as my Savior and my Lord. Help me to be the Christian that you want me to be. Friend, if you pray a prayer very similar to that, God knows your heart. If you're surrendering, he knows your heart. Then you've become a child of God if you pray that prayer and begin the wonderful walk in the Christian life. He wants to change you. He wants to make a difference in your life as he has those who are followers in this service. When we give the invitation just a moment, we'd love for you to come forward and we'd love to tell you more, not to embarrass you. The Bible tells us, Jesus talked about this. If, if, if we're ashamed to, to admit that he is our Savior and Lord here, if we're ashamed of him here, he'll be ashamed of us in heaven. So we, we don't want you to be ashamed. We're not going to embarrass you. But we invite you during the invitation to come and share. Maybe there's someone who needs to come by letter by statement to be a part and you want to, to apply for membership in the life of Elkdale, we encourage you to come. Father, bless this time, this invitation. It is yours, Father. Let your Holy Spirit speak and woo those that you have prepared this day. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.